Hello and welcome to The Long Short, a new podcast brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, focusing on the very latest insights on hedge funds and private credit. My name is Drew Nicholl. AIMA is the global representative for the alternative investment industry, with around 2,000 corporate members spread across 60 countries. Of these, our fund manager members account for approximately $2.5 trillion in hedge fund and private credit assets. Each weekly episode of The Long Short will examine topical areas of interest from across the alternative investment universe with news, views and analysis delivered by AIMA's global team, as well as a host of industry experts. So whether you are a hedge fund or private credit industry veteran, a student of the industry, or just someone interested in learning more about hedge funds and private credit, this podcast will be your ideal companion to help navigate you through the long and short of this fascinating industry. Hello and happy Easter to all our global listeners that celebrate it. We are taking our first seasonal break of 2022, but wanted to ensure that you get your audio fix of The Long Short by highlighting arguably one of our most important and timely episodes of the year so far, namely our conversation with our colleague Daniel Austin, Director of US Policy and Regulation based in Washington. Daniel and Amos' whole government and regulatory affairs team have been working tirelessly to distill more than a thousand pages of regulatory proposals aimed at the private funds industry that have flowed from the SEC since February. To quote our CEO Jack Ingalls, these rules, if approved in the current form, would represent a serious overhaul of existing market practices. And since we recorded that episode, AIMA has gone on to file four more comment letters to the SEC and will likely double in number over the coming weeks. Our Government and Regulatory Affairs team have also hosted six calls with commissioners and staff at the SEC, the CFTC and the OFR to express the concerns raised by our members about the negative unintended consequences to market practices and indeed to investors should these rules be implemented. However, given the tumultuous starts of the year so far, you could be forgiven for not being completely familiar with all the various ways these proposals will impact the alternative investment industry in the US and globally. Therefore, we encourage you to take the time to listen to this excellent summary of the most salient issues offered by Daniel so that you are prepared for what's coming next, given the 20th of May deadline for responding is fast approaching. And our regular weekly episodes of The Long Short will resume in two weeks' time, including some fascinating new guests that will be speaking to us. And no doubt we will also have Daniel back to give us a full update on all that is happening in US uh, regulatory circles. So we look forward to talk to you again soon. Today's podcast will focus on the significant industry news that came out of the US on the 9th of February, where the SEC voted 3 to 1 to publish four new rulemaking proposals, which, if adopted, could significantly affect the trading, operations, risk management, compliance, and reporting functions of AMA manager members, as well as private funds and the registered investment companies that they advise. And here to tell us more about all of these issues is our colleague out of AIMA's DC office, Daniel Austin, Director of US Policy and Regulation. Uh, Daniel, Daniel, thank you so much for speaking to us on The Long Short. Of course, Drew and Tom, it's a, it's a pleasure to, to be here with you today. Yeah, great to have you make your debut and, and a great moment to do so, I guess. Um, so, Daniel, the, the SEC has come hard out of the gates this year. You know, with a you know, bundle of proposals aimed at private fund 
industry. And in our introduction, we described how these proposals could be among the most hard-hitting for the industry. And our CEO, Jack Ingalls, has been quoted as describing these proposals as representing a serious overhaul of existing market practices. Could you elaborate on that, please? Yeah, happy to. I think uh, Jack nailed it in his uh, latest AMA dispatches message when he said some of the proposals range from ambitious through to transformative to potentially disruptive. And what we're seeing under um, SEC Chair Gary Gensler, um, some of these proposals would fundamentally change both existing market practices and market structure. Many of these proposals have their roots in what I think is a populist drive or call for equality of information and additional transparency purely for transparency's sake. This is a phenomenon that's not new or unique to financial markets and financial data. I think a parallel can be drawn to the efforts we saw several years ago in New York State with insider trading 2.0. However, in recent uh, events like the Treasury market volatility in March of 2020, the meme stocks of last year and the Archegos collapse have only intensified this movement. Since uh, last December, the SEC has issued 12 proposed rules. So right now we have 12 outstanding rules with open comment periods, leaving the market with a lot to read, analyze, and respond to in a very short time frame. And even based on the commission's ambitious regulatory agenda, there's much more to come, including rules targeting potential short sale disclosures and 13F changes, a potential overhaul of equity market structure, an ESG disclosure framework, and much, much more. And uh, let's run through some of those proposals. As you mentioned, there's the mountain, and we'll, we'll do our best to get through those in this episode. But to begin with, uh, the SEC published proposed rules applicable to registered advisors that would, among other things, require new quarterly reporting to investors and uh, standardization of fees and expenses across all investors in the fund. On the surface, transparency seems like an intrinsically good thing. You, you mentioned there, you know, transparency for transparency's sake. Is there any unintended consequences here? Is there any other ways that we should be looking at this? Sure. The, the idea of transparency might seem good on the surface. However, the commission is simply taking the wrong approach to achieving this so-called additional transparency. Some of the proposed and future rulemakings will have broad and perhaps damaging impacts on U.S. securities markets and market participants' practices. Like you mentioned, the private fund advisor rule. It's a prescriptive one-size-fits-all regime that will essentially govern how two sophisticated parties negotiate in engagement. It's a market departure from how LPs and GPs have operated for decades, and the Commission has failed to justify where the breakdown has been in this relationship that warrants such a significant change. And ultimately, the negative effects of this change will trickle down to the end investors of these LPs. Some of the recent proposals also have a clear genesis or nexus to the events over the past 24 months. Let's take the Archegos uh, collapse, for example. In December, the SEC proposed a new rule that would establish a reporting regime for certain security-based swap positions. And in that, any person that exceeds a certain threshold must file these reports and they must be filed T plus one. In other words, by the end of the day, the end of the following day on which the threshold is exceeded. And that's not all. They're also immediately made public upon filing. In doing so, the commission cites the need to improve or transparency close to 20 times in justifying this new reporting regime. The commission explains that it's concerned about the manufactured defaults in the credit default swap market, 
or a replay of the Archegos collapse. To prevent these types of events, however, the Commission could have chosen a number of alternatives. For example, requiring the same, the same reports being filed, but holding them confidentially and using its existing surveillance and examination capabilities, or require enhanced risk management requirements for security-based swap dealers. Both are much more narrowly tailored responses than the route that it has chosen. Moreover, with the T plus one disclosure, it essentially leads to the firm's proprietary data and strategies being available to the general public, which can lead to a host of negative market impacts, including imitative trading, discouraging risk management, and more. And you can look at, in the wake of the financial crisis, the commission specifically cited concerns with imitative trading when it decided to maintain the confidentiality of managers' short positions on Form SH, acknowledging that imitative trading already occurs with long positions disclosed on Form 13F. So there's clearly a precedent here for the commission to maintain the confidentiality of this valuable data. However, it's decided not to do so in this case. This spring, AMA is excited to be back in person with our Digital Assets Conference taking place on May 11th in the heart of New York City. This is the crypto conference for the hedge fund and institutional investor community, featuring thought-provoking conversations with innovators and practical breakout sessions tackling critical investment and operational issues. The 2022 Digital Assets Conference builds on the work of AMA's Digital Assets Working Group, DOG, in our inaugural 2021 Virtual Summit. AMA DOG is a senior level industry steering group tasked with driving AMA's regulatory engagement, thought leadership, and operational guidance in digital assets. The group focuses on issues specific to institutional buy-side investing in this space and includes digital asset native and traditional hedge fund firms and investors. Whether you are a crypto veteran or just testing the waters, we look forward to seeing you in New York this May. For more information or to buy tickets, visit ama.org slash events. Uh, so, Daniel, moving on to the filings then, listeners may be aware of the 13F filings that are required of investment managers, but the SEC is proposing substantial changes to 13Ds and 13Gs. What are these and why does it matter? That's a good question, Tom. So Schedule 13 D and G are filed when an investor beneficially owns what's called more than 5% of a covered class of equity securities, and these reports are available to the public. The current filing deadline is 10 days after a market participant reaches this 5% threshold. The commission is proposing to shift this 10-day deadline down to a five-day deadline. Among the other changes that the proposal uh, looks to do is include that holders of cash settled derivative securities will be deemed beneficial owners of the reference equity security if the derivative is held with the purpose or effect of changing or influencing control of the issuer. However, these products ultimately don't provide the buyer with any voting rights. So what is the commission trying to achieve here? In the proposal, the commission is really reaching and trying to justify its conclusion of including these products among the beneficial ownership calculation for purposes of 13 D and G. These reports are ultimately about the ownership and control of companies and voting rights. Again, what has changed here over the past however many years to have the reporting time and now include these derivative securities in calculating beneficial ownership? Nothing. It 
kind of goes back to this drive for additional transparency. And this is likely setting the stage for changes to Form 13F and perhaps establishing a framework for the reporting and potential disclosure of short positions. So, so Daniel, we are asking a huge amount of you here and, and jumping all over the place, but I think that does uh, give some sense to the to the scope and scale of the proposals that have come out in the last few weeks. But just to, to, to move away from private funds exclusively and, and go on to the other big proposal that came through recently related to the shortening of the settlement cycle. Now, those people who have been in the industry or in financial markets for, for a, you know, a decade or more should be familiar with the fact that the settlement cycle has been uh, seen days, shaved off it, uh, you know, all the way since T plus five. And, but for many other people, they may have first heard about this last year when uh, the CEO of Robinhood pointed to the, uh, the T plus two settlement cycle as the reason for them having to uh, pause trading uh, on GameStop. Obviously, a fair amount of controversy around that. But now we have this proposal and the timing does seem interesting. Is there any connection here at all? Or is this just part of the, the broader theme of, of trying to shorten the settlement cycle uh, when we can? Right. So the, the talks of, about moving to T plus one have been going on for a couple of years now. But they're also embedded in this drive for transparency and the belief that there will be cost savings and efficiencies. And like you noted, this discussion was a large part of the of the uh, GME congressional hearings from last year, which were uh, quite a sight to to be seen and uh, and, and take in. It was must must watch television. Uh, at the end of the day, we might see these results, but moving to T plus one does misalign U.S. markets with other major capital markets who are settled on maintaining a T plus two settlement timeframe. This makes the U.S. a global outlier. I mean, the U.S. was a global outlier when we were stuck on T plus three and the rest of the market transitioned to T plus two. But this situation is different because we are jumping ahead, not playing catch up. And in the proposal, it doesn't appear that the commission, either in the proposal or prior to issuing the proposal, coordinated with foreign jurisdictions on reaching this decision. And of course, a, a change like this that's so significant to the market structure in the U.S., the Fed and the Treasury will need to play a role in the transition. So this isn't just an SEC endeavor and will take a lot of time and work to achieve. Yeah, as you say, these proposals represent a huge task generally for compliance and regulatory teams across the industry. Uh, as they all have concurrent deadlines for reviewing, right? And so how big a challenge, Daniel, do you see this as being for compliance teams? First question, and then secondly, you know, what are the deadlines then around the um, proposals and what the industry needs to be doing? I'm going to take the, the deadline question first and, yes, and, yes. and explain that the, the latest set of the proposed rules that were issued uh, the 9th and 10th of February have a deadline of 30 days after publication in the Federal Register or April 11th, which is 60 days after the rule is issued, and it's which, whichever of those dates is later. And as we discussed, these are not immaterial proposals. They're significant, significant changes to market practices and market structure and are hundreds and hundreds of pages of complex text for compliance and legal teams to analyze and formulate responses to. Many compliance and legal teams are already fully occupied maintaining the health and welfare of their funds and in turn protecting the fund's investors. So their time and resources will now be stretched even further trying to get through 
the, the weeds of these proposals in crafting their responses. And these rulemakings aren't simply a legal or compliance task. Formulating responses to these will require consultations in coordination with senior management because of their significance and complexity, taking time and resources away from those individuals as well. In the shorter comment periods that we are seeing are an unwelcome trend and one that I fear will likely continue as the SEC continues to uh, issue uh, dozens of proposals over over the coming uh, coming months. And and you mentioned the uh, with the settlement cycle that that the U.S. cannot be seen in isolation and, and must also be viewed in the global scale in the sense that uh, the shortening might put the U.S. out of step. So in the same sense, with these other proposals related to transparency and uh, investor protection, we have to view them in that global perspective as well. If these proposals go through as is, and that's a big if, but if, would this make the U.S. substantially less attractive as a jurisdiction for fund managers? And, and how differently would this position the U.S. to other major markets? The short answer is yes, it will make it less attractive and more like other financial markets over which the U.S. may have previously held a competitive advantage. If you look at the SEC's website, it claims, and usually when the chairman or a commissioner is testifying before a congressional hearing, they'll often quote the SEC's mission, which is to protect investors, maintain fair, orderly, and efficient markets, and facilitate capital formation. I'm worried, however, that many of the changes to existing market practices and structure that have been proposed, like the ones we saw on the 9th and the 10th of February, and are likely to come over the next several months, would only make it more difficult for the SEC to achieve its uh, often stated mission and could knock the U.S. capital markets from its perch as, in quoting the SEC here again, the deepest, most dynamic, and most liquid in the world. So I think these are very, uh, very noteworthy, significant uh, proposals. I can, there's so many adjectives to describe them, but I would need a thesaurus to, to try to uh, adequately uh, get through them. And bringing this full circle then, Daniel, um, as we say, you're on the ground out in D.C., uh, you know, part of the government and regulatory affairs team at AMA. How is AMA working with the industry in response to all of this? So the AMA GRA team, once the proposals were issued, uh, read through them, analyzed them, and published some wonderful summaries that are available on our website for AMA members. And in terms of next steps, we'll be holding working group calls and collecting feedback from members on the proposals and going through the, uh, the the comment writing process and circulating those among the working groups for feedback, tar- tailoring those, and ultimately submitting them to the commission. Uh, we're also working on scheduling meetings with commissioners and the relevant SEC staff that are working on these proposals to discuss the um, the context of those proposals, the content, and also our concerns with them. Well, it sounds like you've got a, a busy few weeks ahead of you, and um, I'm sure uh, we'll be hearing more about this in the coming weeks and months, and I'm sure we'll get you and the rest of the team back on to, to go through this once you've had a chance to, to have a rest after this is all blown over and we're on to the next stage. But thank you so much for coming on, Daniel. We really do appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. Drew and Tom, pleasure to be with you, and uh, we will work to keep our, our members uh, apprised of, of how these uh, rules play out. And uh, we'll see where we go from here.
And Daniel is one of three senior individuals in AMA's US policy and regulatory team. This team, of course, supported by a global effort comprising subject matter experts in London, Brussels and Singapore. And AMA's preliminary thoughts on all these proposals are already available to AMA members via the AMA website, AMA.org. Uh, and the full responses to the proposals will also be available in the same place. And we'll update you on the development of these proposals in future episodes. The Long Short was brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AMA.org. Thanks for listening.